0: Good morning. morning. Wow, there you go. My name is John Batista, and I volunteer here at East Point on the East Point Board. If you're not familiar with our board, our primary responsibility is to provide oversight, guidance, and accountability for the financial side of the church. Uh, Kurt likes about, oh, two or three times a year for one of us to get up and just give you an update of what's happening uh, with the church. And so you drew the short straw, and you got me today. Now, the challenge is, Kirk gave me five to seven minutes, which, Kirk knows, is a challenge for me, but I'm going to keep it to that so you can get up to, so Kirk can get up and you can hear him speak. Uh, really, just two updates, and the first one is amazing. I uh, really want you to know that God is doing some incredible things here at East Point. Uh, over the summer, just in the last eight to ten weeks, we've increased by 30 families, and that's just the families that have registered their children with uh, Adventureland so we know there's others that either haven't registered their children or are singles or just don't have children that are also coming so that's really unusual in the summer normally attendance is down and we've experienced some of that just people who are at the lake and so forth but god is growing this church and more than just growing it in numbers he's also doing some amazing and remarkable healing Uh, just over the last couple of weeks, I don't remember if it was this week or the week before, a person came up to Kurt after service and said, Pastor Kurt, I want you to know something. I've gone through a rough road, and she went on to tell her story. She said, but today, today here in this place, my healing has started. It was amazing. And that's not an isolated story. Kurt got together with me this week to talk about this, And it was story after story. Marriages being put back on a solid foundation that were shaky. People being healed individually, internally, emotionally. Uh, God is moving. And that's really the primary update that I want to give today, is that you belong to an organization that God is alive and well in. And just want to encourage you in that. Continue to seek his face. But any of you who have been Christians for any length of time know that when fruit starts to set on the tree, opposition comes. And we have had a lot of opposition. So that's the second part of the first update. See, I snuck an extra one in there, Kurt. We've had opposition, in Kurt's words this week, he told me, in 35 years of pastoring, and he's pastored in large churches and small churches, but in 35 years, he's never felt the opposition like he has this, say, past quarter. And that's a pretty remarkable thing to hear, because I know Kurt's been through it. I've been with Kurt now for probably 15 years plus, uh, and I know some of the things he's gone through. So we've had pastors, one that's been diagnosed with fibromyalgia, three that have diverticulitis. Uh, and this, is, you know, this is a population of a staff of 14 people. Two of our pastors lost their fathers over the last two months. It's just been one thing after another. Two board members have taken a lot of hits. So it, what do you do with that information? We have this huge blessing. And, and for those of you, by the way, who are just seeking Christ and really haven't made that commitment, really don't know what this whole business of being a Christian is about, be aware that when I speak of opposition, we believe in a God who loves us and is for us. But we also believe in a very real opposer of that. So anytime you take a step forward in God, it will be with resistance. It will come with resistance, expect that. So that's what I mean by this. So what I'm gonna ask you to do with this first update is pray, that's the action step. But don't just casually pray. Pray as though you're in a war, the bullets are flying, people are taking shots across the bow. Few of them are hitting under the water line. We need you to pray. Take it seriously. Take your commitment to pray seriously. And I would encourage you this week, just set aside five to 10 minutes, more if you can, but specifically focus on that issue for protection for the staff and protection for this community of faith because it's real. But also know and be thankful. Go to God first with thanksgiving for the work that he's doing because people's lives are changing here. And that's what we're really about. Second update, this is real brief. Uh, This is just a financial update. July, we were off 30% in our our expected giving. Kind of weird, don't know why. We know we always take a hit in the summer, people go to the lake, the church doesn't go to the lake, but people go to the lake, people forget, we get that. And it's expected, especially in the Northwest, it's an outdoor type community. Um, So, we're off, not a big deal, It's not the Titanic, we're not rearranging the deck chairs here, we're healthy, we have savings, we run a very conservative, very lean budget. Uh, We have money in the bank, and uh, we're meeting all our financial obligations. So I don't want to give you the wrong impression, just that I bring it to your attention in this update so that it doesn't become a trend. Trends like that are not good. So if you've forgotten, if you've been away, if you've been on vacation, I just ask you to, you know, now would be a good time to remember to send in if something you've forgotten, all right? If it's something you've forgotten. Otherwise, uh, the other thing I want you to pray about as an action step for this update is to go before God in prayer. If you're married, make sure your spouse is alongside of you because this is one of those issues the enemy will use against you if you're not of one mind in your giving. And just go before God and say, God, am I where you want me to be in my giving? There's no formula. There's no magic number I can give you. It's between you and God. It's a personal thing. God's going to direct you uh, in in however he does uh, to give. And so I just ask you to set aside time to pray for that. Again, if you're seekers and you're exploring this whole Christian business, uh, you're our guest. All right? Kurt mentions that almost every week. We want, that's that's a serious note. We mean that. You're our guest. If you're led to give, fine. But otherwise, set that aside. This is a message really for those believers that are committed here, that are getting fed here. Go before the Lord. All right? So that's really it. Two updates. God is moving. The enemy is opposing. And we could use your support at this time. All right? So pray. Pray hard. I'm going to pray now. Kurt's going to come up and teach. Father, we ask you to move on our hearts. Help us to take serious this battle. Help us to give you tremendous thanksgiving for the lives that are being changed here. You're doing a work that we cannot do, only you can do. And Father, it's been my prayer for quite some time that you would make us one of the most generous places in Spokane, that we would be able to go forward and impact our community uh, second to none. Thank you, Father. Take, us, take a hold of us in prayer and, and strengthen us and give us the courage to obey. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Thank you, John. I want to add my uh, comment about what God's been doing. I, had, uh, I was working at uh, U-High yesterday. I have a blister right here to prove it. Can I get an uh... Oh, yeah. Anyhow, uh, it was awesome. And one of the things I love to do, you're out know, there, you know, raking Mulch around, and I asked one of the guys I was working with, They tell me your story. I said, well, it's a long way. I said, we got a big pile of sawdust there. It's all right, you know, keep talking. And uh, he told me a little bit of his story, and by the end of it, we're just standing there not working very hard, looking at each other, and he tears up, and he says, you know, if it wasn't for East Point, I wouldn't be alive. I know I wouldn't be alive today. So I just want to say thank you for serving, for being a part. Thank you, John, for uh, the update, and uh, I know you guys love this church. I do too, and I'm just grateful for what God's been doing. We're going to wrap up our series today in James. If you've got your Bible, please open up to James, the third chapter. We're actually going to be in three different chapters, pieces of it. And if you forgot your Bible, or if you don't have a Bible, please let us give you one. Ushers have got Bibles right now. So just put your hand way up in the air, and the ushers will get you a Bible. And again, if you don't have one, please take this home as our gift to you. Um, this morning, we're going to walk through the issue of wisdom, how to live and walk in wisdom. How to live and walk in wisdom. And I need to tell you from the get-go that wisdom is different than IQ. Uh, you can be very intelligent and lack a lot of wisdom. They don't necessarily go hand in hand. Uh, you ever been around somebody who's really smart, but they consistently do really dumb things? They have a high IQ, but they just keep making the same stupid mistakes or, or doing things that would not be very wise. I used to work for, uh, in banking. My boss at one point was um, a woman who was a genius. And I'm not kidding. I mean incredibly intelligent. She could dance circles around anybody I knew when it came to the brain thing. But she constantly locked her keys, left her keys in the car. I can't tell you many times, I had a hanger in my cubicle. Yes, I used to work out of a cubicle. Had a hanger in my cubicle just to go help her out when she uh, locked herself out of her car. Maybe some of you recognize this guy, Anthony Weiner. I used to feel bad about my last name. But Anthony Weiner uh, was a former U.S. representative who resigned due to a sexting scandal. And he's considered a fairly smart guy. But he did some really stupid, unwise things, and it's cost him. cost him his job as a U.S. representative. He thought he was going to be the next mayor. I don't think so, because more has come out of that. My point is, again, smart people can do really dumb things when they lack wisdom. Now, of course, dumb people can do foolish and unwise things as well. And I want to give you an example from another comedy classic. Each week, each week I brought out the really oldie goldies. But here's another example from the classic comedy Dumb and Dumber about what not to do when on a ski lift or when giving a hitman a ride. Let's watch this.
0: My God, you poor guy. Does it hurt? Oh, I'm fun. I take the feet for you. This is silly. Let me help you. Yes, it'll only hurt for a moment, like a band-aid. Come on, ready? Come
1: on, go. Say, uh, are you guys going to Davenport? My car died, and I'm late for a luncheon we usually don't pick up hitchhikers. But I'm gonna go with my instinct on this one. Saddle up, partner.
0: You're it. You're it. You're it. Quizzies. Any quitsies. You're it quizzies. No any quitsies, no starts. You can't do that. Can't do, no, cannot stamp it. Can't do double stamp it, no erases. Cannot triple stamp it, no erases. Touch no, blue, making it no, true. No, you can't triple stamp a double stamp. You can't triple stamp a double la stamp, Lloyd. You, la line. Line. you can't triple stamp a double stamp. Lloyd, Lloyd. You can't Guys! Enough! Hey. Want to hear the most annoying sound in the world?
1: Tell us, you think we could listen
0: to the radio or something? Radio? (laughs) Who needs a radio? Ready, Harry? (laughs) Mock, yeah, ing, yeah, bird, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mockingbird, don't everybody, everybody have, you heard? have you heard She's gonna buy, She's gonna me, buy a me a Mockingbird And if that Mockingbird don't sing She's gonna buy, She's gonna me, gonna a buy me a Diamond Ring And if that, and if dime that dime ring Diamond Ring don't sing Hey Lloyd, look, look, there's some people want to ride too Pick them up! birds,
1: I heard recently that Dumb and Dumber's coming out with a sequel after 20 years. Is that exciting news or what, huh? Obviously, a good example of what you don't want to do and of not living in wisdom. I want to ask you a question. I really want this to be something that you ponder with me today. Why is wisdom so important? Why do we need more of it in our lives? Why do I want to take the next 20 minutes or so and talk about this and encourage you to grow in wisdom? Well, here's the simple answer. Because it will save you a lot of heartache born out of foolish choices and really dumb decisions. Wisdom is what will guard you and help you to make wise choices rather than foolish choices. Now, let me be clear. I'm all for education and a growing intellect. Uh, Nobody should make it their life goal to be dumber. But without wisdom, things usually don't end very well. In fact, intellect without insight can lead to personal harm and incredible damage to others. Some of the meanest, worst, you know, leaders that have done horrible things in the world uh, were very smart people, but they didn't operate with wisdom. But the Bible says that we'll be blessed when we grow in wisdom. Proverbs 3, let me just read it to you. Proverbs three thirteen and 14, says, Blessed are those who find wisdom. Why should you care about this? Because the Bible says if you get it, you'll be blessed. Those who gain understanding are blessed, for she is more profitable. Wisdom is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. The Bible says wisdom is more important than any possession or any wealth you could ever obtain. Why does obtaining wisdom matter? Because we are blessed when we do, and we are damaged when we don't. When we have it, we are blessed when we don't. We end up hurting ourselves and others. But before we can take a look at how to grow in wisdom, which we'll, uh, we'll do that in just a moment, I want to identify for you what wisdom looks like. I think it's good for us to know what we're shooting for. What's the goal? What does wisdom look like? And I had you turn to James chapter 3. We're going to pick it up in verse 13. James 3, 13. James says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom, quote-unquote, does not come from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. So James says there's two different kinds of wisdom. There's the worldly wisdom, and there's God's wisdom. Verse 16, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Verse 18, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. James asks this question, who is wise among you? And he's trying to dial this up for them. And he wanted them to think, oh, yeah, that guy's, I think he's pretty wise. Oh, yeah, that, that woman, she's pretty wise. Yeah, I've been around wisdom. I know what it looks like. And then he goes on and says, wisdom is, is seen by deeds done in humility. In fact, you can recognize it by the fruit you see in people's lives. You can recognize it by the product of their life. Wisdom, real wisdom is revealed by these character qualities that he lists here, and they're evident. And There are nine things he mentions. I'm going to pop through these pretty quickly. Uh, I'm just going to run through them and give you a little insight of what they mean. Ninth qualities of those with wisdom. First one, number one is wise people are humble people. Wise people are humble people. Many people have the wrong idea about humility or being humble. They think it means groveling in front of others or being a wimp or thinking that they're of no value or worth. That is not biblical humility. The Bible's picture of humility is when the Bible says someone is humble, that means they're free from pride and arrogance and teachable. Free from pride and arrogance and, in fact, teachable, willing to grow and learn. And that's why wisdom is so evident in someone that's growing in wisdom, in wisdom, because you you see that they're teachable. They're willing to admit that they don't know everything, and they're humble and want to grow. So a wise person is a humble person. That's one fruit, one quality, one characteristic. Here's the second one. A wise person is pure. Pure. Wisdom is pure, which means we're not polluted by envy or selfishness or jealousy. A wise person is free from ulterior motives or conflicting values. They're pure of heart. Now, that doesn't mean they never make mistakes, but their intentions, their their motive is pure. Look again at verse 14 and 15. James says, if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth, because that kind of wisdom does not come from God. James identifies here a different wisdom, and he says it's unspiritual and, in fact, demonic. But a wise person is unpolluted by self-centered, self-serving desires, and they're, they're, they're not only teachable, but they're willing to be pure of heart with others. Here's the third thing. Number three, wisdom takes, uh, makes us peace-loving. It makes us peace-loving. To be peaceable, by the way, is to not be divisive, not to be pugnacious. Uh, to be peace-loving means you don't demand your own way. You're not looking to, to throw a fit when someone disagrees with you. A peace-loving person will build bridges rather than barriers. That's a fruit you can see. If someone's always having trouble with people in their life, and, it's, and, and they're always in a fight or in some conflict, then that would be the opposite of the fruit that James identifies as someone who's peace-loving. Last week we read from Romans 12, 18. Or Paul said, if it is possible, as far as that depends on you, live at peace with God. Everyone and James gives us a promise in this passage. By the way, verse eighteen, he says, "Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness." And so, another characteristic of wise people is their peace loving. Number four, a wise person is considerate. They're considerate. Being considerate means that you're thinking of others rather than just thinking of yourself. It means you're em- empathetic. It means that you, in fact, that the word could be translated gentle or patient. But the point here. Being considerate means that you are otherly focused. To a wise person, is not it's not all about them. It's not all about me. They are otherly focused. They're considerate of others in their lives. Number five, a wise people are submissive. A wise person is submissive. Now, as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, I know this word tends to push uh, some hot buttons because some have been abused or misused all too often by misapplication of this word. Um, by the way, Paul, when he teaches about submission in Ephesians 5, uh, he says that we're to submit to one another, that this ought to be a mark of our life in the kingdom of God, that we are looking to submit to each other. But in the context of humility here, in the context that James uses it, it means that we're not to be power-hungry or demanding, that instead we're to yield to God and yield to others for the sake of love. One of the strongest leaders I've ever worked with is a guy named Jack Little. And he was my pastor and mentor for many years. And Jack consistently amazed me. Very strong leader, very gifted leader, very successful church planner, loved the guy. But he consistently amazed me at his ability to yield, to, to not you know, force his will on someone. He wasn't power hungry or abusive. In fact, and this is the amazing thing about submissive people, his submissiveness really drew me closer to him. I wanted to trust and follow him because he was submissive. Number six, I told you I'd punch through these pretty quick. Number six, a person full of wisdom is full of mercy. One of the things that ought to mark a wise person's life is you ought to think, man, that person is merciful. Now, mercy, let me give you a short definition. Mercy from God is when we don't get what we do deserve. Mercy is when we don't get what we do deserve. We deserve death for our sins. God said, I'm going to Let Jesus take the penalty for that. When we accept that, then we're free from the penalty. Mercy is when we don't get what we do deserve. Grace, on the other hand, is when we do get what we don't deserve. We get his favor, and we haven't earned it. We get his love, and we haven't earned it. But the Bible says here that one mark of people who are filled with wisdom is that they're full of mercy. And I want to suggest a person full of mercy forgives others as they have been forgiven. That they don't hold bitterness in their heart. They're not ugly and mean and vile towards others. In fact, they are merciful towards people. So people full of mercy walk in relational health. And that's a wise person. You look at somebody and go, man, this this person's always got some sort of problem, some sort of grief in their life, something going on. There's tension between them and other people. And there's bitterness and and unforgiveness in their heart. The the Bible says that is not wisdom as God defines it. A wise person is full of mercy. Number seven, wise people produce good fruit. They produce good fruit. This simply means, when the Bible refers to fruit, that, there's, that our lives are characterized, marked by good deeds, good acts, done for the benefit of other people. And by the way, done for the benefit of others with no strings attached. I'm, I'm going to do something for you, just for you, not because of what I can get out of it. Wise people are giving. And they're generous with their time, their energy, and their money. Next one, number eight. James defines your wisdom, a wise man or woman is impartial. They're impartial. And he deals with this later on in the book. We won't be able to get to that. But being impartial means we're not prejudicial. We don't treat people differently based on their social status. James gets in their face about the fact that they were treating the wealthy people in their church better than the poor. And he said, don't go there, don't do that. And impartiality is, is treating someone without prejudice based on their social status, their net worth, or frankly even the color of their skin. We love people because they're created in the image of God, period. And it means that we're fair and objective and unbiased in our relationships. In fact, we believe, believe the best about others until proven otherwise. That's what it means to be impartial. And one last one. And it's all there in that one verse, but James says, wisdom makes one sincere as well. Sincere. And I love that word sincere because here's what it means. It means authentic, real. It means that they're not a phony. Somebody who's sincere, you see them and you don't, you don't, what you see is what you get. They're as honest and real as you can be. A wise person's not two-faced. They're not hypocritical. They don't say one thing to you and turn around and say something else to other people. But they are, in fact, sincere. Now, I punched through those pretty quick. And they're all from that one verse there. But James identifies um, nine qualities or characteristics of a wise person. And what I would encourage you to do, and please don't get too depressed by it, just be motivated by this, is to go through that list, go back to that verse, and say, God, how am I doing here? Does this, would this be characterized of my life? Would somebody say, yeah, I've seen that in you? Ask your spouse. Ask your kids. Ask your parents. Ask your best friend. Do you see these things in my life? Is my life marked by this? And where can I grow? Where do I need to develop? Because here's the wisdom, and here's what it looks like. James says, these nine things will mark a wise man or woman. But they practice them, and A very similar passage with the famous love chapter found in 1 Corinthians 13. Let me just read you a few verses from it. But what I want you to see here is what Paul says about love is absolutely true of wisdom as well. He says love is patient. Love is kind. It isn't jealous. It doesn't brag. It isn't arrogant. It isn't rude. It doesn't seek its own advantage. It isn't irritable. It doesn't keep record of complaints. It isn't isn't happy with injustice. But it's happy with truth. Love puts up with all things, trust in all things, hopes, for all things endures, all things love never fails. And I love that passage. Most of us have heard it at one time or another at a wedding, probably if nowhere else. But you could substitute the word wisdom for the word love there. Wisdom is patient. Wisdom is kind. Wisdom isn't jealous. It doesn't brag. Wisdom isn't arrogant. It isn't rude. And so on. These things are the goals of a Christ follower that we ought to practice this and live in this. And I hope you're thinking of, and looking at this this morning going, wow, yeah. I need to be more like that. And the question is, well, how do we get there? Well, jump back with me to James chapter 1. James, the very first chapter, and let's briefly see how to grow in wisdom. James 1, verse 5. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. James identifies three things, at least three things here, that we can do to grow in wisdom. There are other things we can do to grow in wisdom, but I think these are imperative. This is where it has to start if we are to grow from where we are to where we want to be as a wise man or woman. And first, to grow in wisdom, we must recognize our lack of wisdom. To grow in wisdom, we must recognize our lack. Now, this might be the biggest duh in the Christian book of does. But if you don't want it, if you're not seeking it, then it's not going to happen. He says in verse five, if any of you lacks wisdom, I think all of us can say, yeah, I lack wisdom. I'm not sure what to do in this situation or in this relationship. And so I have to smile when he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, because we all do. But the challenge here, and this is what I want you to understand, is to recognize that reality. And the simple truth, only those who see their need seek help. Only those who understand their need seek help. Years and years ago, I uh, used to coach football at a high school and uh, volunteered. And the guy I worked with, the coach that I worked with, was older than Moses and blinder than a bat. And he was, I mean, in his late 80s, phenomenal football coach. Knew more about football than any man I've ever met. By the way, isn't it great that football's back? Okay, three of us are excited. But anyhow, he, he loved the game, and, but he couldn't see much on the field. And I learned a lot about what was going, you know, football because he I, made me tell him the formations. I had to stand right next to him, and I was basically his eyes. But for a long time, he refused to admit that he needed help. And he drove at 88 years old, blind as a bat, and constantly, thank God he didn't kill anybody. He was, he was always getting these fender benders. The problem was he was unwilling to recognize his need until his wife and the friends around him said, you are blind, get glasses, you need help. The point being is that when we don't recognize our need, then we're not going to get the help that we need. We need to grow in godly wisdom, but to get there we first must see that we need godly wisdom. Again, humility and wisdom go hand in hand. You've got to admit, humbly admit, I need help. Here's the second way we grow in wisdom. Number two, second, to grow in wisdom, we must ask God for his help. And again, you're thinking, wow, never thought of that before. Well, the truth is, we might have thought of it, but sometimes we fail to implement that little thing called ask God. The point is that once we see our desperate need, we must go to the source of wisdom. And let me just tell you, the source of wisdom is God and his word. Seeing and acknowledging our need is critical. But too many go to a thousand other sources before they turn to God. They turn to Oprah or, you know, to Deepak Chopra or some other self-help. You walk into any bookstore, you find just hundreds and hundreds of self-help books. And I'm not saying they're all evil and all wrong, but what I am saying is we need to go to God first. We need to seek wisdom from the source of wisdom from God and His Word. This is where it starts and ends for us as Christ followers. We need to dig a well in the Word of God. And so turning to God and asking for His help is important. And it's an important concept taught throughout the scriptures. God wants you to turn to Him. In fact, let me just give you a little insight. He will set you up. He will put you in situations where you will be desperate until you realize that you need Him. And He'll keep you there. You'll keep circling around the mountain. You're gonna keep finding yourself hitting the the wall at 90 miles an hour until you come to this realization i can't do this on my own i need god and so i need to ask him for help this concept of asking jesus taught it in matthew 7 he said ask and it'll be given to you you know seek and you will find knock and the door will be open jesus said go for it god wants to be pursued and he wants you to come to him and say, God, not only do I recognize my need, but I recognize you're the source that I, that I long for. James 1, 5, if you lack wisdom, you should, what? Ask God. James five thirteen and 14, you don't have to turn there, but let me just take you back to the fifth chapter, the final chapter of Acts, real quick. In verse 13 and 14, James says this, is anyone among you in trouble? And I'm sure in that room, just like if I ask that question, in this room, a lot of hands would go up. Oh, yeah, that's me. I'm in trouble. He says, let them pray. Insert parentheses, to God. Go to the source. If you're in trouble, go to God for help. Is anyone happy? Let them sing praise, songs of praise. To whom? To Oprah? No, to God. I'm not picking an Oprah. I really don't care if you, you know, I'm just, my point is, go to God first. He says, if anyone among you is sick, let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil. And here it is, in the name of the Lord. We go to him, we go to the source. Silly illustration, but it makes the point. If you want to water your lawn and you take a hose out there, you can stand there all day with that hose in your hand and move it all over the yard, but if it's not connected to a source of water, you're not going to get your lawn watered. If you've got a power tool or a lamp And you want to use that. It's awesome. It could be the most beautiful lamp in the world, but if you don't plug it in to a power source, it's not going to give you any benefit. And the same is true. This is so consistently taught in the Word. Jesus dealt with this in John 15. Abide in me, and then I'll abide in you, and you'll bear much fruit. The point is we need to go to the source and stay connected to the one who can give us everything that we need. We ask. We recognize our need, but we ask God for help. The third thing, the final thing, to grow in wisdom, we must trust God with an unwavering confidence in his grace. To grow in wisdom, you're going to have to grow in your trust of God and in your unwavering. Now, we waver, but you need to grow in this, in your unwavering confidence in his grace. Verse 5, you should ask God, listen to this, who gives generously to all without finding what? Fault. And it will be given to you. Verse 6, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. James is saying, go to God. God's got it, and God is willing to give it to you. But he's also putting on us a responsibility. We need to believe. He's asking you to believe that God is good and that he generously gives without finding fault. And what does that mean? Some of you really, if you get anything out of the message today, get this. When he says, ask God, and and he'll generously give without finding fault, that means without any reproach, contempt, or disdain toward you. God does not look at you and say, I can't believe that idiot John has come to me again for help. There's no disdain. There's no animosity toward you in his heart at all. There's no reproach, no contempt. There's no condemnation. Sometimes, why do I care? Why am I passionate about this? Because I see this all the time. Christians, well-meaning, Bible-based, good, godly people. They believe, yes, I, 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 I know that, that, that I lack, that I don't have everything I need to walk this life of faith in Christ. I get it. They recognize that God's got the source, that he's the source, the power. They get that. But they are hesitant, and it breaks my heart. They're hesitant to go to him because they listen, they're listening to the voice of the, accusing, the accuser. The Bible calls Satan the accuser. And they're listening to that voice and says, you know what, you really can't go to God for that because you screwed up today. Who do you think you are asking God for help? You know what, remember that thing you did 29 years ago? God's really gonna hold that against you. Man, I don't even think he's listening to you right now. Oh, what you've gotta be kidding me. You're gonna ask God? You know how holy he is and how dirtbag, scumbag, ugly you are? That's the voice of the accuser. And Romans says, There's, there, no, there, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We can come to God. In fact, Hebrews says we can come with boldness to the throne of grace. I'm hoping you get this. I'm getting a lot of blank stares. Guys, sometimes we hesitate to come and ask because we don't feel like we're worthy. And here's a little insight. On your own you're not, but in him you are. Can I get one amen? amen? On your own you're not, but in him you are. Because of him, you are, and you can go with boldness. And James says, ask God, ask him, ask him, and know this. He's not stingy in his goodness toward us. He's not hesitant to bless you. God will give you what you need, and he will never, never hold your broken past or even your broken present against you. Our part, though, is to trust in him and to not doubt his grace and his goodness. Where do you need wisdom right now? You're in a relational situation that's eating your lunch. You're in a work situation that you just don't know what to do. you got a thing going on with your neighbor or your kids or a friend, and you are baffled. You've tried everything you could do, everything you could think of. You tried all the self-help things that they got out of a great book, and nothing's working. Where do you need help right now? Acknowledge that you need. Ask God. Get on your face. John talked about prayer. One of the most important things you can do is cry out to God, oh, God, I need you. And then when you do, please, I beg you, I'm begging you, go with God confidence, not self-confidence, but God confidence that he loves you, he has your best interest in mind, and that he is not gonna hold any sin, your garbage against you. He's gonna say, I'm so glad you're here. Watch my goodness in your life right now. Bow your heads let me pray for you guys. Lord, I pray that you would set some of us free this morning from the doubt that has consumed us. We have not come to you in faith believing. We have not come to you in trust, in an unwavering confidence in you. We have wrestled with our past, our sin, our present. We've wrestled with stuff, and we've listened to the wrong voice. And this morning, I pray, God, that we would set aside all of that, and hear one voice. The voice that says, ask God who gives generously and without fault. That we would understand that you are just a father, a good dad, a good father, more willing to bless us and give us what we need than we can even imagine. And that you want us even in our most desperate moments, even in our failure to come to you and cry out, oh God, I need you. I need your wisdom right here. And you answer and you come and you work Lord, give us that understanding today. Help us leave with that boldness and confidence in you. Now keep your head bowed and your eyes closed just for a moment. Maybe you're here today and you've not yet started your life as a Christ follower. And I'm going to tell you from personal experience in my life and from having prayed with hundreds and hundreds of people over the years, maybe thousands, they came to the same conclusion I did. It's wise to put our hands in the hands of our Creator. It's wise to trust God's goodness. It's wise to give our lives to Him, to yield, to submit our lives to Him. It's wise to embrace His free gift of grace and His mercy offered to us. And if you're here today and you're ready to take that wise step of saying yes to God, just make this simple prayer yours right now. I'm going to pray it, but you make it your prayer. Father, forgive me, for I have failed, I have sinned, I have wandered off on my own, and I'm far from where I, I know you want me to be. And I, today, come to accept the free gift of grace and mercy and your goodness. I come to accept what Jesus did for me on that cross. I can hardly believe you love me that much, but I get it. Right now I get it. And I say thank you. And I surrender my all, my life to you. I'm yours. I'm going to follow you from now into eternity. Now if that's your heart, your desire, just in your own way, say, yep, God, that's me. And the Bible says the moment you say yes to him, you become his. You're his child forever. Lord, thank you for those making that decision right now. Show them what it means. Show them what you're going to do and have done. And Give them the confidence that comes in knowing that they are loved and forgiven by you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to finish with one last song of worship this morning. We're going to give. Our giving here at East Point is actually we do it here because it's an act of worship. It's an act of our love to God. So you give as we worship. I'll come back and wrap it up. Where we lack the wisdom that we need, God is able. That's why I want to encourage you to go to him. Listen, today, before you go, a couple things. There'll be a prayer team down front. Uh, the Bible says there's wisdom in the multitude of counselors. So sometimes we just need to pray and, and get the support of others. Communion's available on both sides of the room if you want to take that. If you began your life as a Christ follower today, let somebody know. Come let me know. And uh, We've got packets by the uh, doors on the table. says so for new believers, Got a Bible, some material to get you started in your walk with Jesus. One last thing I will mention to you next Sunday. I hope you can make it. Um, very special schedule and plan for you guys. It's going to be an awesome service. But in addition to that, my my uh, new book is supposed to be here on Thursday. Uh, God willing, and UPS uh, gets it here, and so uh, I'm, we're going to be able to give a gift of uh, my book to uh, every family in our church. So that's going to happen next Sunday. Hopefully, you can be here. That'll be fun. And you'll read all the stories about where I lacked wisdom and should have asked for a lot more of it. So anyway, it'll be fun. God bless you guys. Go walk
0: in his wisdom this week. Thanks for coming today.